Hello, we're back for a second Football Supporters Federation podcast and this one all in the build-up to some history-making moments. Behind us is Wembley Stadium where it's going to be the Women's FA Cup final later between Chelsea Ladies and Notts County Ladies. And we're actually placed just outside the stadium at the moment where underneath where the Bobby Moore statue is there are some five-a-side football pitches. Loads of girls already getting, uh, getting some practice in going to see their role models later on. We'll talk about the rise in women's football in just a moment. First of all, I'd like to introduce the guests around our round table. It's not a round table though, it's rectangular. It's not quite accurate that, is it? Uh, I'm going to start with Jen O'Neill, who's the editor for She Kicks magazine. Uh, was out at Canada as well for the World Cup this summer, weren't you? Yes, um, just like you. I think we're all still trying to recover. I think some of the players are still trying to recover. Hopefully by, what, we're three weeks on neither of these teams today will be affected by that but it was an incredible experience for all involved. Sylvain Jemets here as well, we're calling you the super fan of women's football. Uh, I take it you watched every bit of that tournament and also the WSL as well. Yeah, yeah indeed. I was in Canada as well. It was really very nice and interesting. Supporting France, so unfortunately it wasn't very good. We'll skip over the fact that Jemets was supporting France. Uh, 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 Let's go on to Andrew Gibney. And Andrew, you actually write about WSL football. You're also part of Offside Wall as well with with myself. Um, You must have seen and appreciated the coverage that the women's football has been getting. Yeah, this is my first season covering the WSL and the rise just in the last few months has been amazing. From day one from the World Cup to the final, Twitter just exploded and it's great to be part of it and great to be here at Wembley Stadium. Once upon a time we'd have struggled to get a a table full of women's football fans (laughs) so so vocal but today we couldn't get enough. We've got Guy as well, Guy Aldridge, you're a big women's football fan aren't you? Yeah, I mean I've followed most of the the women's World Cup recently because I I was off convalescing after an operation. It's well planned. So yes, it was very well planned, a good summer of sports actually. So. Uh, finally, and uh, by, by no means least, we have Melissa Bennett who's a, an Arsenal fan. Um, Arsenal ladies have dominated this competition in the past, uh, being nine-time winners. Uh, no Arsenal here today is strange territory for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's really strange. It's almost like the men have taken over the success a little bit. The ladies were carrying us for so long as a team and winning all the trophies. So hopefully next year we can have a bit more of a balance and we can have both teams winning. Well, by all means, pitch in whenever you fancy in these discussion topics. But I want to start with women's football and this FA Cup that's happening. Uh, We've got a big sponsor on board for next year, SSE, who are hopefully going to infiltrate some money to the grassroots football and and make it a bigger tournament for next year. What I'm wondering is, as, as teams are starting to get professional, are we going to be less likely to see a giant killing? Because I always thought women's versus men's FA Cup, you were more likely to get an outside team actually lift the cup. But is that starting to be less likely? I think from what I've seen so far, as I was at Manchester City against Doncaster, for 60, 70 minutes, Doncaster really held the role and really strong. And then the last 20 minutes, Man City's uh, the physique, the, the fitness just took its toll. They won three one in the end, and you could see a definite uh, professionalism in that performance. And really. I've seen it more against Durham in the content of Cup and I think it's becoming evident the gap between the two leagues. I don't, I don't think that it's changed that much because I think even in the past you always had the Premier League teams were always way stronger and even if the North or South Division, Southern Division Premier League team played at one of the top National Division teams you would still get a tonking, you would still see that um, disparate level of fitness and quality because people all flock to Arsenal or flock to the, the top sort of two or three teams but it is going to be even more terrifying and that's why they have the FA divide it don't they they have the exemption rules to certain rounds I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see this final move to even later in the 
in the season just to suit the Super League teams because it's ultimately going to be them playing in the final. Are we going to see it at Wembley again? Is this the start of it every year, year in, year out, being a showpiece occasion? I think it would be good for it to be at Wembley. I think um, certainly with the Women's World Cup recently, hopefully there might be more coverage on television. Some of the major broadcasters take on board their maybe just highlights on a Sunday night after the matches. I think that would help to promote that and, and bring it back to Wembley next year. I think it has to be, doesn't it? You, you can't have it one year and say you're growing the sport and growing the, but then have it not at Wembley. What does that say about mm. growing it as a, as a, a showpiece? I'm actually stealing a question that I was asked in the build-up to this uh, tournament this week as well, but someone asked me about the fact that Wembley Stadium won't be full. Yes, there'll be in excess of 27,000, but is that an argument, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, for it to not be at Wembley and maybe be at a, a championship instead a 30,000 seat stadium. I've been here to see the Vars and Trophy finals. Yeah. Um, one of my mates, bloke I work with on um, FC Business was a uh, assistant manager of West Auckland. There were 5,000 people here and, and that was because it has a big sponsor that, that was still a great occasion for both teams and just you know the, the, the women should have that opportunity as well and you will get much bigger crowds and we argued that last year and the year before and to defend the FA I think they've actually wanted to have it at Wembley sooner but they clashed with the playoff finals. I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen it move to later in the season. Yeah, I think um, now we've started to have it here, we'll have to continue. And also with the success of some of the England women's matches that have taken place here at the stadium as well, um, they've all been brilliant occasions. So yeah, long may it continue. Uh, there is some disparity though in the prize money. There's an article that's been released this week. It's just quite shocking isn't it everybody wincing here because the the winning team there is about eight thousand pound prize pot here today but the winning team actually gets five thousand pounds Notts County saying they could actually make a loss but even if they win here at Wembley today um, in comparison we have to do this the men's team the winning team gets 1.8 million um, you look further down those figures and even expenses men get double per mile all those sorts of things that come into consideration. Why is that different? Petrol's petrol and a bus is a bus. Yeah, a bus is a bus. Yeah. But then you, yeah. you have to look at the amount of money spent by the sponsors and that kind of thing. But we were just talking about this earlier, one of my friends plays for a team in Gateshead and, and they enter in the first round, like preliminary rounds, and they all have their fingers crossed when the draw's made, hoping that they get drawn away. Because even at the first round, it costs you more to play at home because you have to pay the referees a certain amount, you have to pay, and it, it, it's, it happens all the way through the, the tournament. And still, then they'll tell you that even the Women's Champions League it costs you money to win it. You don't you don't make money out of it, do you? Tell us, yeah. Tell us. Uh, they, they get a few thousand euros from UEFA every round, but it's, it's nothing compared to what it costs them like in playing. Let's talk about the expense as well of being a women's football fan and Andrew Gibney, the, the crazy man that he is, didn't you walk 100 miles or something to come back from France? What? It was to walk to two friends. I, walked, I did it for charity, that was the jokers, but it was a, an idea that came from how to get to France cheaper than that and going on the Eurostar and we walked 100 miles in five days to leave. We raised £3,000 for charity but it was because travel is so expensive in this country. Yeah. Tickets in this country are expensive. My season ticket at Lille is £140. I do think this is the calibre of women's football fans. You know, they go that extra mile. Um, have you been impressed though, Jen? You've been involved, you've played for Sunderland Ladies before. Have you been impressed with the uptake, the increase in publicity? And it really seems that from the World Cup this summer, the Lionesses have been taken into everyone's heart. Yeah, because it's difficult when you're, dis you're sort of dislocated from it when you're abroad and you don't even see the BBC coverage because it's geo blocked. 
when you see the, the noise on Twitter and you hear your friends talking and then so it was quite a shock I think it was an amazing um, shock for the players but it's quite a shock even for people who just sort of work in the, the sport that was my fifth World Cup that I've been to I'm very lucky when I came back I couldn't believe it just people chit-chatting people are still wanting to talk about it people know that this game is on I didn't believe that it would have had such an impact, and it certainly has. I was getting some work done in my house, and the, the DIY guy was like, yeah, yeah, they're playing Japan tonight, and that would never have happened even 12 months ago. They wouldn't have well, I know lads who were on holiday in Spain or Portugal and Albufeira, and they, they want the World Cup final on the telly, you know, it's, and it's, nobody was laughing at them, and nobody was saying no. It just became the thing that people wanted to watch, and I, I think we might see a drop-off, but I would imagine that by the Euros, uh, in 2017 then uh, people will get into the big events again and hopefully it'll be a good game the cup final with everybody watching at this point in the season last year crowd figures were 48% down on what they are now so there has been more interest is it not a shame that we don't have and there was an appeal for it either a Great Britain side or an England side at the Olympics 100% the, the first game I went to this country was France against Canada in Coventry for the, the, bron- the bronze medal it was a great occasion. I really enjoyed that. Everyone there seemed to enjoy it. And as a Scotsman, I, I find that I, my brain's a bit mush for supporting England. I'm glad uh, we've got you here. Yeah. <laughs> but to Great Britain, you can sort of, you can get behind that, and the whole nation, not just England, everyone can. It's, I think it's a shame that it's not going to happen because of politics and my country being part of it. It's a shame. And again, it does it does introduce people to the sport if it's on something like the Olympics where you've got a unified team. It does um, consolidate that support for, for it and encourage supporting it. So, yeah, it's a shame it didn't happen. Without that happening, do we still think that this surge is sustainable? Uh, the problem also depends on the results. Because if, uh, sadly, they lose in the first round in 2017, I think the interest might go down again. And again, the coverage, yeah. TV coverage. They I need to, to have results, basically. Yeah, I think we were we were lucky that the Lioness played so well in the World Cup and they obviously end up finishing third place. Everyone was able to keep getting behind them every round. They were attracting more and more um, support. So yeah, as you say, if maybe they don't start to perform so well, they've set the expectation level so high now that everyone wants to see them win all the time. So it'll be interesting to see how people respond maybe if they don't do so. Well, well. they're going to walk the Euros qualifying. They're so much stronger than every other team. That, that might actually have a bit of a, an impact because they're just going to keep winning games by such a margin. But the coaches talked about having to play high quality friendly, so we have to hope that there's actually coverage of those. And the other problem about the Olympics is that we, we, we've proven eventually that we're on a par with the top nations, but now they're going to get a big tournament to play in and all of the funding and opportunities that that brings and we're going to sit on the sidelines and watch again like happened in 96 you're, when you're we fell behind. You're listening to the Swedish newspapers, they were rejoicing for us, they love the English now don't they Sweden? <laughs> yeah, because we beat Norway, that's yeah. it, they've got a chance to go. Um, you touched on this earlier Jen as well about the league structure and the fact that it's a summer league. Do we see the Women's Super League now, we've had WSL 1 introduced, we had promotion relegation WSL two teams looking stronger do we now extend that league outside of summer months because at the moment there's a very big off season isn't there I was talking to Annie Luco the other day about she's worried about when the men's game comes back yeah. next week that the interest then drops people have something else to do to take away from WSL WSL 2 and I think that's going to be the big 
the watershed mark, can it can sustain crowds over a thousand when there's men's games to go to instead? But that, that's the benefit of having a summer league because it is it fills a gap, but you want it to be more than just a gap. And then some work needs to be done to every club has to decide when they're, they're maybe the two in a week their core times for a match are. So it has to become a habit to go. And if you Premier League clubs, particularly men's, move their matches around so much is actually affecting attendances because is it three o'clock on a Saturday? No, it's twelve o'clock on a Saturday. No, it's five o'clock on a Sunday. You don't know. Women's teams need to have. For example, Bristol started at 6.30 on a Saturday. You know that that's when you go to a home game. And if women's teams can do that, they will they will carry some of those fans that they've picked up throughout the, the rest of the season. Well, we hope it's an entertaining game here this afternoon. Everyone here has their tickets, don't you? Anyone not got any? Um, thankfully, they're all here. We didn't get them here in vain. Um, hopefully, that will be an entertaining game. A reminder, though, that we are here to talk about the Football Supporters Federation as well. And I'd like to introduce David Rose and just to talk about a couple of big campaigns that are coming up. Um, it is so important to have this fan's voice, David. I'm going to ask you to lean in because he's just joined us around the table and not knock your drink over at the same time, <laughs> which if it was me would be I, difficult. I will knock the drink over, don't worry about that. <laughs> um, talk to us about what you're really going to be trailblazers for next year and um, I know that you have got a campaign that's already been running that you're going to continue we'll start with that uh, 20s plenty yes um, this year is going to be a big year this season is going to be a big season for the 20s plenty campaign as we run into the third year of the current funding uh, uh, sorry the current TV deal um, what we're looking at now is a renewed deal worth 5.14 billion uh, which is a lot and it's a huge increase um, what we're trying to push for is uh, for ticket prices for away fans to be capped at £20 to utilise that TV, TV money to make that happen. It would be around about a million pounds per club per season, that's all it would be. When you look at the wages of players, the transfer fees that are astronomical and seem to go up every year, um, we think it's not too much to ask. Didn't something come to your attention as well, the Norwich City parachute payment and how you might be able to get money to trickle through to this cause? That, that's right, yeah, it was a bit of a new one on us actually. Um, Norwich, uh, who fortunately have, uh, went straight back up into the Premier League, um, now, there was obviously a parachute payment put aside for us for three years um, and we know that for the first year that was something in the region of uh, 24 million uh, that's been saved there. So this money actually is distributed amongst the Premier League clubs. Um, it's a windfall that we weren't necessarily expecting um, and we again want to see basically a fast forwarding of the, the 20s plenty prior to the, the new um, TV deal coming in next year uh, where we can use this windfall to offset ticket prices immediately rather than waiting the 12 months for the new TV deal. So we're calling on all fans to put pressure on their clubs to make this happen. There's no reason why it can't. Well, it's very fitting because we've got a table full of football fans here. 20's plenty. Um, must must be getting a big thumbs up all round, I would, I would yeah, say. Yeah, as I said, my uh, season ticket in Lille in France is £140 for the whole season. The Europa League last year was €9 Euros a ticket. You've got all three group games for €27. Euros. So when I come back, I've moved back to England and I don't go to games as a fan because 
in my head, the, the money side of the comparison just puts me off. The Women's World Cup, actually, Jen and, and, and um, Sylvan will both know this. There was The very first game was a double header, if you remember. I think it worked out to be around 45 something like that, dollars you could get it for. So that was less than £20 a game for a World Cup match in women's football. Yeah, and I'm, I've got friends who've started, uh, he's a, one's an Everton fan who started going to watch Hyde. It's 11 quid to get in there, makes more sense. He likes going on, a, it's six quid on the coach. It's a good day out with his mates, he can go to the pub beforehand. Clubs need to be aware of the fact that these die-hard supporters are going to start looking elsewhere because they don't want to be shelling out that amount of money. I and mean, when you can just watch it on the telly. Well, the um, week before I got my Arsenal season ticket, um, I, I got a newsletter from Fulham because I used to take um, a friend to Fulham matches as a disabled carer. And um, I could get a season ticket for Fulham probably about four years ago now, so it's still in the Premier League. I could get a season ticket for £379 for myself. Um, my boys were £55 each, so I could have had three season tickets for less than £500. There seems to be a shortage of Fulham fans there, because I remember when I but went to the it would have cost you that much to go to an away game. That's the whole point. Well, no, that's it. I mean, I, as I say, as a season ticket holder for Arsenal, I mean... But you know, if you lose the away fans, you lose the atmosphere. Yeah, I'd like to pick up on that because that's why we do focus on the away tickets specifically at the moment. We think it's a a winnable battle, um, but the away fans, uh, you know, by definition, they are the the die-hard fans. They commit the most time, uh, the most financial output, um, and just literally the miles that they travel to follow the team. And the atmosphere that they bring to the game is disproportionate to the numbers within the stadium and the home fans need that to bounce off to bounce off each other to create the atmosphere I think a lot of Premier League fans specifically would say that the atmosphere has took a bit of a dive in recent years uh, can be quite sterile and uh, you've got to have the away fans uh, and ultimately the Premier League need that they, they need that atmosphere that's what sells their products uh, that's why they can command these astronomical with, with TV deals why would you want to go to? Why would you want to watch? Because Absolutely, it's, 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 we, we, I have actually experienced a game where there hasn't been any away fans. Uh, back in the day when um, Newcastle and Sunderland fans were actually banned from visiting each other's grounds. And uh, whilst it's not my favourite sight, seeing a couple of thousand Geordies jumping up and down celebrating a goal against us, um, it was horrendous when they did score, but it was silent and it just kills. We need, we need vibrant OEMs to create a vibrant atmosphere all around. Well, we, we are outside Wembley Stadium. Um, I do think this is a way of our producer Jamie, who's a Villa fan, crowbarring in that Villa were in the final. Um, but he was saying Villa Arsenal final ticket started at £90. £15 today. So it isn't just for the Premier League. I'm guessing you want that share of TV wealth to be for the domestic competitions, the cup competitions as well. Very much so. I mean, we want the sharing of the TV wealth to, to cut across all of football, really. We want it to trickle down more than it has to grass to the grassroots game. Uh, we want to make sure that the Football League benefit from the, from the Premier League's bounty as well. Um, and ticket prices are an issue throughout the Football League as well, let's not forget. Remember as well that Wembley is in our capital, it's in London. Um, if you have a job in London, you get a London waiting. I think they should do the opposite in football. If your team gets to the final, you should get an outside London waiting. You've got to travel to get to Wembley. <laughs>
that, that's, that, that's yeah. just my campaign yeah, on my that, own. That sounds like a good one. Well, let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> um, let's talk about the, the obscene amounts of money that we have in the men's game. Um, you're talking about sharing that TV wealth. Some of the figures that I read about, David, that you sent over before we came here, 5.14 billion, you're saying it's going up to that's, those sort of regions. And that's just the domestic rights. Uh, we've yet to see what the overseas rights will and be. global rights are going to increase. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd guess maybe three and a half billion, maybe more, who knows. Is that what all this pre-season has been about for most of these clubs, going to the Far East and all these far-flung places in the world? Is it to get more money for the for the Premier League? Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, there's, a, there's a global appetite for the Premier League, which, you know, that is no bad thing, that's, that's great. Um, and in fact, it's the, the knock-on effect should be that fans benefit from that rather than the ticket prices going up. Um, I mean, having said all of that, the, there is some glimmers of light uh, within the Premier League and the Football League. Um, Swansea did announce uh, recently that all of their away tickets for their away fans, for their Swansea travelling fans, will be £22. Uh, they're going to offset whatever the other clubs are charging them to make sure that Swansea fans will never pay more than £22 all season, which is excellent and all credit to them for that. And Coventry uh, cited the 2020 campaign and um, confirmed that, again, £20 for away fans that be capped at, the fans will pay no more than 20 So it's doable. If Coventry can do it, if Swansea can do it, then surely all the clubs can follow suit. I will finish off by saying that you're you're actually trying to get some banners, aren't you, made up and a few people to get behind the cause. It, it's fair to say that when you're watching football highlights, whether it be the, the first week of the Premier League and you're watching Match of the Day or, or whatever you're watching, um, it has a huge impact visually, doesn't it, if you've got those banners in the crowds? Absolutely. We've uh, On the 3rd of October, we're calling a weekend of action. Uh, fans of all clubs, uh, specifically Premier League, but uh, any football league uh, fans of football league clubs who want to join in, uh, we would welcome them. Um, we want a national campaign, a national weekend of action, uh, where we want fans holding up 20s plenty banners. Um, the FSF office will be producing uh, some of those and we'll help fans out uh, producing material. And we want rival fans at each fixture to meet before the game. Um, we'll be arranging media coverage. Um, we just basically want to make a big noise on October the 3rd and in the build-up to that to say that fans have had enough. I suppose the thing to reiterate there as well is that if you're one of those fans, and maybe we are all sat around this table that moans about these things but you don't actually take any action, you've got, you've got the outlet here. You're, you're giving us a date, you're saying that you're going to help with the banners. So anyone who wants to get behind that, I really encourage you to keep across what the Football Supporters Federation are doing. Uh, David, thank you very much for your time. I know you're on holiday. Yes, yes, I'm going <laughs> We'd love you to hang around and talk about women's football and all manner of other different topics we've got to get through, but I understand yeah. you're busy. Apparently I need to go to the Science Museum now and uh, yeah, play with some toys, apparently. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll continue the chat on, uh, on 20s Plenty. I want to bring this out to the floor because it is such a good initiative. It makes so much sense, yet it's still not in place for all of the clubs yet. If Coventry can do it, then there's no excuse at Premier League, the Championship, that so much more money than they do, they can't take it forward and really push the campaign. Yeah, it seems ludicrous really that every year clubs seem to be making more money, yet we seem to be paying more to watch football. Yeah, you look at the gate of some of the gate takings from some of the Premier League sides, certainly. I mean, it's in excess of a million pound a game. And uh, how many away supporters are there at each match? Maybe 5%? Well, how much so you we're dropping that gate. I paid £17 from the Liverpool game. So. Mm. 
expensive. Very expensive. Does that, does that cost mean that you go to less games or is it just the difficulty of getting tickets? Or? Um, I go to less games and I go to more football games, basically. I think it's particularly difficult at Arsenal if you don't have a season ticket and then a ticket comes up that you can possibly buy and you can pay sort of 70, 80 pounds, it's right at, sometimes right at the back and you have to, and I do really want to watch my team but at the same time can I really fork out that much for a seat that's not actually even that good. And the problem is it filters down though because I have like 10 minutes on Oldham Athletic and they charge 25 pounds. They're charging that because Arsenal can charge 70, but they're thinking, well, it's a third of the price, so we can justify that, whereas it's just as ridiculous. We talk about, through the FSF, fans applying pressure, but who else can be doing that? Who else can be applying pressure? Well, I think the, the Premier League clubs talk to each other, and some chairmen are more, and owners are more vociferous than others, and believe that the fans are important, so I, I think it is working. Um, but the, the supporters are, I, I have a problem with the piped music and PA systems and the way that they, when there's a goal or anything happens, we have to listen to this, um, all this music. It's The fans have lost their voice. We don't sing about things, we don't complain about things. It's this dumbing down of the fans. Now I went to the um, FA Cup quarter final last season at uh, Old Trafford. And the, the fans were the 12th man on that occasion. It was an incredible atmosphere. Not one, not one of the fans but sat down. But that should be every game. It's more than That should be every game, yeah. And I, um, in fairness to Arsenal, on that occasion, they subsidised the coaches up there. Mm. And it was £10 return from South Mims. You know, so, I mean, even uh, small subsidies on, on yeah. things like coach or travel to these games would help the would help the average fan. Um, whilst we're on Premier League, let's get to the nitty gritty because it starts next weekend and in the lead up we talked quickly about pre-season and how far all the clubs have been. Uh, let's start there, is the pre-season worthwhile? Have, have we learned anything from it? I'm not a fan of pre-season at all. If someone has to write about football, we'll have to. If you want to write about it, you're forced to. Like, <laughs> have to. Yeah, you're forced to write about what have you learnt from pre-season games and the answer is nothing because it's just about fitness. But they glamorise it as a PSG against Manchester United in America. They give it a name, the Emirates Cup, so to speak. It's just Asia Trophy. Yeah, it's just for, it's for fitness and for trying things out. There's no, but you have to try and pretend it's a serious game, and it really isn't. Has anyone taken anything away from pre-season? <laughs> there's, there's a deathly silence. I, I have. I think uh, uh, getting a glimpse of a tour over down uh, as a good signing and see. I just sometimes you think that you can get even from a glimpse from in players' eyes. Are they going to get on? Are they going to gel? I'm looking for that team camaraderie. We saw it with the Lionesses this summer, and I think that the team that goes on and challenges Chelsea for the Premier League have to be really united. Um, and speaking of united, on Manchester United with all their signings, do they look like they're a team that are going to gel? I think pre-season is increasingly for the big teams become an opportunity to um, make sponsors happy, make global partners happy and it's about for the, the big teams heading to North America or Asia or even to Australasia they've been, it's otherwise it is just about fitness. I have to say that because I'm something to and me, I'm running half a month against Toronto. There's an obvious benefit for the clubs that you get to see new signings are they going to gel, but that's a purely on the pitch yeah. thing. I went to Celtic against Wren last weekend. Celtic had a big Champions League qualifier, they went 2-0 up and the game finished at half time. Nothing happened. And you just kind of watch and go, I could just leave now, I wouldn't miss anything. 
because the team's got what they wanted out of it as a training exercise. It is a class opportunity as a supporter to just go somewhere different and have a big, um, you know, have a few, have a few beverages with your friends. <laughs> uh, how about the Community Shield there? Because uh, Community Shield is here at Wembley as well tomorrow. Um, we're going to see an interesting story unfold with Petr Cech going in goal against his former club. I mean, Mourinho, I understand, is not happy about the fact that he's had to let him go to a rival. It, that came from further higher up the rankings from Abramovich, but he wanted to reward the player. Is that going to be something that bites Chelsea back later on in the season? Let's hope so. There's <laughs> <laughs> the anti-Chelsea people here. Uh, maybe tomorrow, if there's a penalty awarded to Chelsea when they're 2-1 down in the 89th minute and Petr Cech saves it, that'll be just the icing on the cake for me. But, does it matter? Are you, are you bothered about it? Not really. The game, I mean, it used to be a big thing because there wasn't that many games on TV, so there was a big thing to watch it, and now it's like, I'm not, I'm not bothered. I think as an Arsenal fan, I think beating Man City last year was a really good early boost for our season. Um, because we kind of, a lot of the problem we have most seasons is we can't prove that we can beat sort of the Man Cities always had a quite big problem with Man United and, and the Chelsea so starting the season off by beating them was a bit of a boost we'll see if we can beat Chelsea tomorrow i tell you how, why I'm bothered about fair. it I'm bothered about it because of the sound bites surrounding the game with, with Wenger against yeah. Mourinho because it started already hasn't it Mourinho was the the best at it because if Chelsea lose it'll be well it's only pre-season it doesn't matter we'll win the league and then if they win it'll be we are the best oh, he will never lose he, he, he will dress up how it's, it's Mourinho and he is yeah, he's yeah. the biggest troll in having the football world because talking about buying titles when no one's bought more players than Chelsea have he is the king at winding people up maybe he needs a British media the panic, I mean they, yeah. they just fall over for anything yeah. he wants to, to, to put out there we just we soak it up and then spit it back out just the way you want it. Uh, not as many signings at Stamford Bridge, not as many signings at Arsenal as I, I think people thought would be happening. So uh, what are the predictions for the forthcoming season? I'd like to see Arsenal win the, win the title, obviously. I think Petr Cech is a, is a great signing and I was surprised that, that uh, Mourinho let him go uh, because I think he's got three or four great years still ahead of him. And that could make a, uh, an incredible difference for Arsenal. Mourinho is obviously confident in the squad he's got. He doesn't have to splash out. I mean, bringing Falcao, and I'm not as big as fan. I had to watch him at Monaco, trundle around the field. But if he can get the best out of him, then there's a striker in there somewhere. And the pressure's on Man City to really do something now with the money they've spent. They really have to push on both domestically and in Champions League. I think as an Arsenal fan, maybe I was expecting a few more signings. I think a new goalkeeper is probably to go. yeah the least of the least of our concerns. I don't really feel that we lost a lot of points last season. And it's nice to see a few of our injuries back. Yeah, it's, um, you've also offloaded DRV by the way. Yes, <laughs> that's <laughs> all the injuries pretty much <laughs> quietly disappeared away. Most likely going free physios as well. You don't need to look after me. Um, let, let's move this on now to another league because we're here outside Wembley for the Women's FA Cup final and we've seen an increase in coverage and interest in women's football and another league that seems to be getting more headlines, more press time is the MLS and that's mainly because a lot of the, the older Premier League stars have gone out there. We've seen Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard from last season, Didier Drogba has just gone and joined up with them. There's players like Kakar and David Villa over there. Um, is MLS finally starting to have a say in world football in terms of 
attracting big name players is that going to start happening earlier on in their career soon I think that MLS is it won't happen quickly but give it five ten years and it will be up there because I've visited some of the clubs I went to Stade Saputo in Montreal when I was out in Canada and interviewed some of the people there they've got great plans a lot of the, the innovative things that are going on with CRM and working with fans, uh, putting uh, Wi-Fi into your stadia, all of those things, they're starting from, they don't have the 100 years of tradition or, or more. The clubs clubs in the UK are very um, lazy about the way that they, they plan um, working with local communities. In the US, they're, they're starting from so many... Well, they've got such an opportunity, basically. Soccer, as they will call it, is the sport of the future. Uh, baseball is moribund. The people aren't playing it in the same numbers. American football costs a huge amount of money, and it's in Canada you can't get tickets for the ice hockey. Soccer is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and that we talk about India and China being massive markets, but the US and Canada are huge. But is this going to be the next biggest market then? Well, Seattle Sanders already gets 70,000 odd fans and we're, and we're so snobby here. They call us Euro snobs the way that we talk about football and we dismiss them. I think when they start offering more money and the standard, if you bring more Mexicans that, and stuff into it, the standard that, is going to increase massively. That whole northwest corner, you've got yeah. Portland Timbers yeah. and the Portland Farms selling out their stadium week in, week out. Vancouver, a huge team. And it helps. Is that not just because they've got more population? Poland have got like a, a history since 1970s of having a football team and having that history. We, we see it as a very sort of new league. They've got years and years. Well, I am laughing because I did meet a very enthusiastic Portland fan they're, they're um, in, a, in, in a quality in hotel um, who had binoculars in his back pocket. Yeah, um, interesting guy. Um, but yeah, I, I do understand that, that there is outlets in the States and, and there's certainly interest, but how about the rest, how about the rest of, of the big footballing nations taking them seriously? That's the question. It's more, it's more do we take them seriously as the UK? I think that's from our point of view. Is if we don't take them seriously, Sky now have the coverage. So that's the USA have done better than us in the last three World Cups. Yeah. We, we've got to stop being... I mean, the league isn't great yet, but it will get there. And they're very good on the business side, actually. They work a lot on it. And I think they're actually bigger than what this country gives them credit for. I think Sky getting the rights and showing more games will help uh, take away that uh, stigma of what people play down the league. People with Drogba going doesn't help, I don't think, because he's kind of past it. But someone like Zlatan Ibrahimovic saying that he would like to go there. And even if he's not going to be as good on the pitch, just uh, having Zlatan in your league will boost it 100%. That's going to be Andrea Pierre will go in there for eight. There's a fascinating sort of world tour you can do when you leave the Premier League because you can go to uh, the US for a little while, then you go to uh, China and then even more, and then you go to India at the end. So you can be plus 40 and be earning a huge amount of money like an Elka going to Mumbai. It's, it, it will change, but it's, it's pretty uh, interesting to watch career paths. Just to throw in, and we'll move on with characters off the back of this, but Zlatan, I, uh, I was watching a programme and they were doing some outtakes from Zlatan and they were trying to get um, basically a new title sequence where he'd say, I'm Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you're watching and the show's name. And so the, the reporter asks him to say that and he's like, you mean you don't know who Zlatan is? Because <laughs> he couldn't get his head around the fact that he might have to introduce himself. Um, I love characters in football. We love them in the Premier League as well. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, are we going to see him still at Liverpool by, by the end of the season? Are we going to see more 
fisticuffs between Mourinho and some of the other managers. Uh, uh, what, what's your impression? Um, I think Brendan Rodgers changes the uh, coaching staff a lot, so they should improve uh, on the pitch now. So I would think he would still be around. I think they have to improve, they don't, and you spend all that money and questions are asked. He's got till Christmas, hasn't he, basically? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think with Brendan Rodgers, we'll see if the fans sort of start to lose patience with him. So I think they've been quite supportive of him so far. I think Pellegrini's in the same boat in Man City as well. If they don't hit the ground running and they stumble, the people above who have this big plan to be bigger will start asking well, questions. Well, they they're employing a, a new um, stats and performance um, system, aren't they, at Man City? And the whole club is, is using it, and I think that's what he's, he's managed to survive so far because they can see actually they're all heading in the right direction. And results might not have meant that they, they won things, but they know that they were moving forward and, and going in the right direction. The women's team uses it, all the youth teams use and it. And it seems to be more receptive, whether it's just pre season and bringing the young players through, which is a big mm. criticism. Because they've got the big academy that you see when you go to the women's games, that everything's together and they're putting a lot of money in. I've been to watch the EDS and the 21s, but you need to start having someone break through. So if someone, like Man United had gigs, schools, all that, and you can see if you're a kid, if I play well, I'll make it. Right now in Man City, you can't see that. If I play well, I have to go somewhere else to make it. They need one kid to be a beacon of there's a chance and then I think that will score them Go to the other end of the league are Bournemouth going to stay up? I don't, well, I'm only invested in the bottom half. I'm a Sunderland supporter, so when you talk about who's going to win, I was like, who? I, I don't even know who's signed who. So if you look above 10th, I don't even watch match of the day for half the season because it makes me depressed about what I have to go and watch at the stadium of light. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think he's a, he's a very good manager, isn't he, Eddie Howe? So... I think, I think the they'll first, still struggle. I think the first couple of games are probably the most important for, for you can, the you can do well sides, for aren't they? Three or four months and you still yeah. fall away. Yeah, but I, I think it's like Burnley last year. They, they didn't play particularly badly. They had a couple of great, great matches, but they didn't grind out the results. But they had a and very that, small squad of, that of really players to choose from. That really made a difference for them in the beginning. And, and from there, they just seemed to fall away mm. even more and more. They seem to have signed a lot of players based from England as well, rather than looking abroad. That keeps a really sort of squad strong together and you don't have to settle to life in England. And I'm interested to hear Aston Villa get on because they seem to have raided my league, league on for every young talent going. And on paper that's a great thing to do, but when you have to play them all at the same time, like Newcastle found out today that when you buy too many players in the one league it might not work. Well, there's also that. Will the Europa League be a curse for some clubs as well? It always takes away focus from the league. It's a stretch on the players, on the playing staff, on their fitness. So clubs that did well last season, will they will they struggle because they've got those extra European games? Watford continue to just shock me. I don't know whether they'll do it again. I'm going to say it once more, but they do this 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 season on season where they have wholesale change bring the changes, get a new manager, get rid of all the players that got them into the Premier League pretty much, and then have a whole new squad to have to work with, surely they're going back down to the Championship. You cannot you cannot operate a football club like that, can you? Can it's, you? it's always hit or miss because if the players gel quickly, and personalities and talent, with someone like Benjamin Stonebilly who didn't get a real chance to change the Spurs, if he takes the opportunity, he is a very good player from what he was at Montpellier. It just depends on have they bought the right players mentality-wise and 
how they all gel together and you never know this is sink or swim isn't it I think the problem with changing all the personnel is actually the, the style of football that frightens the big Premier League sides the lower league sides that, that come up play um, so it, it's a different game to to the Premier League sides that, that they're playing and it, it frightens them a lot of the time and that's why I think Beginning of the season, you get a couple of big upsets from from the promoted sides playing like your Manus and the Chelsea's or Arsenal. Leicester, who who obviously got rid of Nigel Pearson, many will be wondering what's going to happen with them this season. Where's the supporter? Do you not want? You, do you not have favourite players? You want to be attached to people. You, when your team loses a lot, you know, most weeks, at least you kind of care about some of the people, and they just keep tur- the turnover players now. It's it, it switches you off a little bit. Years and years ago when I used to go watch Celtic back at home, they had uh, Pierre Van Huydonk, Pelle uh, de Canio, and every player had a song. Mm. And then when they all left, it was like Judas Cries. No one got a song until Henry Larson came five, <laughs> six years later, because it was yeah. that kind of fear of, if you idolise them so much, they'll be gone next year, so yeah. don't bother. And he was the first one I to kind of broke that. it's a massive part of being a football yeah. supporter and loving your club, is Get, to have favourite players, and, they, and it just it doesn't happen as much anymore. I've not got a Lille kit that's not got a player's name on the back that's left. Yeah. That's, that's just because <laughs> it all was sold on somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Ne- never pick one like Ibrahimovic as well, where you've got so many letters. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Telegraph had a, a really good article recently about the uh, the worst run football clubs. It's quite a current article, because I was shocked Portsmouth weren't in there, but they're obviously on the rise now. Um, what, what are your thoughts in terms of, of badly run football clubs? I personally think it's a tragedy. The, the team that came number one were Blackpool. What a tragic, tragic turnaround for that club. Only a few seasons ago, in the top flight with Ian Holloway, and now down in League One, and looking like they could even struggle in that league. From, from an outsider perspective, how does that happen? With all the parachute payments and all the money that they would have got, even just been in for one season, not, I don't follow them courses, I don't know the ins and outs, but how someone has to have done a very bad job somewhere in that club that they've gone so far down and so quickly. Uh, not, not to rub this in for Jamie who's listening with his headphones, the producer, but Aston Villa, Aston Villa, I mean in the Premier League, are they, are they the worst run club? I think Newcastle have got to be, from a supporter's point of view, have got to be in there, but then Ashley has reduced, you know, you can trot out all the financial stuff. Is it just about money now? It's a business. I had it actually business, 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 I probably. It's a business, it's not football anymore. So it shouldn't just be purely financial, it should be about how much you love your team and if, 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 you, if you actually feel like you're in it together. It's alright it's all right losing if you're in it together. Better if you win and you're in it together. So it shouldn't just be coming down to the money, I don't think. And I don't think Villa are the worst one by a long stretch. Because people are in charge of clubs as a business. If someone asked me the other day that Villa agreed a fee for a French team for a player, another team offered like five million more. And then next day it was the, the chairman was uh, kind of deciding. So, oh, that's bad. That's bad. It's bad. It's not. It's business. Someone offers you more money, you will consider it no matter what you agree with someone else because you're making more money. I, I for one, am fed up though of hearing Newcastle fans moan. Like I, I'm fed up of it. You know, mass protest. It would speak volumes. But what they can't do is they just can't keep away. And whereas, if you are that disgruntled, surely there has to be a point where united you stand and the, the club have to do something about it. But nobody seems to nowadays, un- unlike some of the campaigns that the, the FSF are trying to get everybody on board with, but no one seems to have that togetherness. I remember they? the days when um, friends all stopped going to Newcastle to get McKee out. Yes. And it worked in the end. 
they got Sir John Hall, which kind of only did strip the club of a lot of money. Should should be on that list. Yeah, they are. I think they are. They are in that. Do you think they should be on that list? Well, it doesn't um, seem to me to be one of the most. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Well, from a business point of view, does make Ashley lost them any money? Probably not. But from a fan's point of view, he's not running the club as they see the sort of way that big players in. I think that's part of the reason it's appeared on the list, though, isn't it? It's the fan pressure rather than actually how the business is run. So in that respect, this is interesting for Melissa as an Arsenal fan. Guy, you obviously were chipping as well, but. You've got a very well-run club, it seems, yet I would say you have the most expense of any fan, as an Arsenal fan, don't you? Yeah, so the financial statistics for Arsenal seem to be amazing. We seem to be making a profit for quite the last few years. We seem to have lots of money to spend on players. All we seem to talk about is how much money we have potentially to use, but a lot of it doesn't seem to get used. So, yeah, you could argue, is that well run? Are we using up the resource to the best ability that we can? I'd probably say, no, we're not. None of that money comes back to either of you, does it? As Arsenal fans, does it go? Um, I... Well, as I suggested earlier, I did go to the FA, uh, FA Cup Court final where the coaches were subsidised. Um, I think the ticket price for that match was um, as, as it would have been, so purely that that was subsidised. I, I think, um, I, I don't know, I, I kind of don't really see too much of it, I guess. I think it's a difficult one because as well we've had the news recently about um, Theo Walcott's new contract and how much he's now set to be paid. It's, yeah, you, you can kind of see that the money's being spent on players' wages, but how much of it is actually filtering down to the fans. Still, if you go to an Arsenal game, the amount of money that you'll spend if you buy like food or a beer is absolutely ludicrous. As Andy said, though, as long as people are going yeah. and you're charging £70, they will continue to charge £70. You have to vote with your feet. It's all good having banners saying ticket prices are too high, but you've paid to get in. <laughs> it's kind of a nose spike your face, really, isn't it? It is. Uh, we're, we're just outside some five-side pitches where lots of girls have been playing ahead of the Women's FA Cup final, which is going to be happening in a few hours behind us, uh, which is underneath the Bobby Moore statue at some five-side pitches there. And um, I want to bring this back round to the, the, the Women's final, which is, which is coming up. In terms of, of this, seeing all the, the girls playing football, them having new role models, I know for one, having played football, Jen, you played, who was your role model? It used to be Bex, was it? Or yeah, I'm older than that. I'm old enough to remember women's football on um, Channel 4 when they put the, the Women's Cup final on. And so you saw players like Marianne Spacey, who I ended up playing against many times. She always enjoyed it because she always seemed to score. Um, and then I, I do the job I do because I saw Kelly Smith. But obviously my favourite players were male players. That was just standard. I mean... I, I do think it's amazing now that I, I've heard a, a story of a team, Charlton under-10s went to a tournament at Clacton, won, they got presented their trophy by Stuart Pearce, I mean, we all know Stuart Pearce, he's a hero, but the girls were like, who's he? Had to ask their dad. They got Jordan Nods' autograph because she was the star. And times are changing. Times are changing. I actually got pretty emotional walking along Wembley Way. Uh, we were here pretty early, so there weren't that many fans around, but the ones that were, were so excited. And what that enabled me to do is overhear conversations, which you don't usually do as you're walking down Wembley Way. But there were, there were a mother and father with two little boys, and they were saying, you're going to the FA Cup final. And they were like, we're so excited. Will we see a lioness? And I actually just wanted to choke because 
I think as all of us being being football fans generally, but we've always supported the women's game, we have seen a turn for the better. And it does choke you because you think, is this the start of something brilliant? We have role models now. We have young girls like our producer Jamie has a daughter who who is obsessed with Steph Horton, isn't she? Absolutely loves Steph Horton. And um, this is great. They they have got role models and rather than when I was asked um, maybe a little bit after you then Jen but mine was David Beckham or Michael Owen I'm, I'm really really encouraged to see that young girls are saying I want to be the next Steph Horton or I want to be the next Ellen White whoever that might be I think this is a, a promising time ahead are you excited about it? Definitely. When I met Annie Aliko on Monday uh, at an event, and there was a young girl who was in Millwall under 14s, and was there to see Annie, she got a pair of signed books, and look on her face, and then the look on Annie's face, that she was meeting a fan who was like, if she genuinely inspires her to go on and do something big, that's what it's all about. And just seeing that interaction, uh, you can see, because of how many players do so much press, but that, that sparked delay from Google. Jen might know more about this than me, actually, but it wasn't that part of Mark Sampson's motivation that he turned to the players and he said, in 20 years, when you realise the impact you've had is when a young girl who's actually playing at the, the height of the game says, I actually did it because I wanted to be like you. Yeah, absolutely. But they actually did. I mean, I thought it was a bit of guff and all. Like, <laughs> when they said, well, we, we went to Canada expecting to inspire a, a, a nation, I actually looked back in old magazines and they were saying that months and months ago that that's what they wanted to do and they absolutely have done that. They didn't inspire France. <laughs> I would just say that. We just got a Gallic shrug, didn't we? Yeah. No, I think it's... Um, I, I think it is inspirational. I think... Um, I think there's... Uh, I think the other thing with the, the ladies' football is is they going to watch Chelsea matches at, at Staines. I find that they're, they're always accommodating. They they go out of their way to sign autographs to to encourage children to to um, kind of interact with them. It's it's a great atmosphere at these games for, for younger players. For uh, my boy, it's a season ticket holder for Chelsea ladies now. And, um, I still think that there's a bit of a fixation by the FA and clubs to that they're trying to market it to girls and to families. There's not this, yeah, it's boys. Yeah. It's um, non-league fans who just people who just love football. Yeah. I think there's a there is a big market out there that it should. It's not just people who want their faces painted. They want to go and see a decent game of football and they want to be pitch side. You know, we can hear what the players are shouting. You can hear Katie Chapman swearing because yeah. someone <laughs> just stuffed them. You've outed them. That's, that's like getting back to what football well, uh, used to be like, and that women's football is a lot like. I've that. seen the men's. The Staines men's side quite a few times at the, the, the Chelsea ladies matches. Yeah. So I think the old manager used to make them go and watch them. Yeah. <laughs> we can hear that the excitement's brimming. I think it's a very encouraging time for women's football. History will be made. One of those teams are going to walk up the Wembley steps. They're going to lift the trophy, the trophy lift. I'm going to look at Jen O'Neill and we're probably both going to have a little tear in our eye, aren't we? Well, the, the Team GB game against Brazil, what, a year, two, three years ago, was it? Um, yesterday? That nearly set me off. I, I uh, grew up, well, Steph Horton grew up having to play in training with me. I've known her for, for a long, long time. She scored against Brazil. I was crying then. I was crying before kickoff. I'll probably cry again today. So we'll try not to cry at the end of this podcast. We'll try yeah. not to. <laughs> um, Andrew is someone who, who loves the women's game, writes about it week on week. Um, it, it's a brilliant showcase occasion now, the FA Cup. Is this going to be 
um, a, a bigger competition to come in, in in the next few years do you see it growing and continuing to fill that stadium we won't have the 27,000 plus we'll have 55,000 plus I think that's the big incentive there if you're a smaller team even WSL2 or further down you can go to Wembley it's, it's like the, the men's FA Cup where everyone has a chance and you open up to all the teams the, the sponsorship and SSE bring more money into it bring more fans to it and give teams something to dream of to go and win this trophy at Wembley and in front of hopefully at some point a full stadium which would be amazing to be part of and to see it go the way it's going now. Uh, my thanks to all of you, uh, Jen, Sylvan, Andrew, Guy and Melissa. It's been brilliant talking to you about an all matter of uh, different topics but let's, let's end on the women's football and say enjoy the game and hopefully it'll be an entertaining match that attracts many more to it for the remainder of the WSL season.